welcome back to another episode of You the Mother podcast by Abby Williams, a space dedicated to supporting, empowering, and connecting all parents in all seasons of parenthood. You can find more supportive content over on Instagram and TikTok at You the Mother. And be sure to check out youthemother.com where you can reach out to work with me one on one or sign up for my group coaching. In today's episode, I'm welcoming back on Dr. Missy Greider. She previously joined us for an episode where we talked about helping kids recognize and manage their stress. I'll be linking that episode below. And in today's episode, she is back to talk to us about a sensitive topic, child abuse, and how we teach our kids to stay safer and be better protected from abuse. Dr. Missy is the founder of the Body Safety Box, an award-winning research-based and evidence-based child abuse prevention educational kit that has served children in 31 states and four countries to date. The Body Safety Box makes sensitive conversations easy and gives parents all we need to help teach our children refusal and reporting skills with a collection of age-appropriate, fun, and kid-friendly activities that children love and remember. April is Child Abuse Prevention Month, and Dr. Missy is giving away two body safety boxes to the You the Mother podcast listeners. Just head over to bodysafetybox.com and download the free guide to enter. Winners will be selected randomly and notified by email. You can also find Dr. Missy at thebodysafetybox.com or over on Instagram at bodysafetybox. I hope that you find today's episode informative and you get a lot of great takeaways from Dr. Missy. Um, She is doing amazing work around this topic, and I hope that we can continue to keep our children safer. So let's get started in supporting you, the mother. Dr. Missy, welcome back to the You the Mother podcast. I am so excited to be sitting with you again. Um, you have previously joined me on the You the Mother podcast, and we had a fabulous conversation, which I will be linking in the description of this podcast. Make sure that you guys go check that conversation out as well. But today we're going to be focusing on child abuse prevention. And Dr. Missy, you have created the Body Safety Box. Can you tell us a little bit about what the Body Safety Box is? Yes. Thank you so much for having me again, Abby. I'm so glad to be here with you today. The Body Safety Box is a child abuse prevention educational kit I designed to help protect elementary school-aged children from childhood physical and sexual abuse. There is one box made for kids ages 5 to 8 and a second box made for kids ages 9 to 12 for our tween crowd. And child abuse, Abby, especially childhood sexual abuse, is such a sensitive topic. It's such a disturbing topic that as parents, we aren't sure how to best approach it with our kids. So we often don't have the conversations that we really want to have because we just don't want to get it wrong. Doesn't that sound like so many of us as moms? Yeah. So we really want to have these conversations. We just don't have the words. Yet an informed child, Abby, is a better protected child. So the Body Safety Box gives parents all they need to make tough conversations easy. The Body Safety Box contains all the language parents need to teach their kids refusal skills and reporting skills in ways that are really kid-friendly, age-appropriate, and developmentally appropriate. 
The lessons inside the body safety box are actually scripted, so there's no guesswork needed for parents. Everything you need is right there. And I agree that this is a topic that is so touchy, right? And want our children to be safe. The statistics are also that it's not 100%, but the majority of especially sexual abuse um, occurrences are with somebody that you know, yes. a family member, yes. a neighbor, a trusted person mm-hmm. that is close to your child, to your family. Yes, And I think that that makes it even harder for parents because we don't want to have those conversations that, you know, oh... We need to be mindful of the people that you do trust because then it makes it really scary, right? Right. You just like don't want to think about some of your family members like that, but it is so important to be having these conversations. So Dr. Missy, will you talk to us about how common child abuse is and what do moms need to know um, in order to help protect our children? Sure. We need to be aware as parents that abuse is everywhere. It's across all demographic boundaries. I think there's this false sense of security that we can kind of gated community our way out of it. And, you know, and unfortunately that's just not the case. And the statistics are truly staggering. And keep in mind, Mm -hmm. of course, abuse is underreported. So it's really hard to get truly accurate numbers. Yet the most recent numbers I've seen are one in four girls and one in 13 boys will experience contact sexual abuse before turning 18. And that's being touched. That's not just seeing an image that we don't want our kids to see. And those are just staggering numbers. The median age of childhood sexual abuse is only nine years old. And what that median word means statistically is of children who experience abuse, 50% of the time it occurs to children under age nine. And 50% of the time it happens to children over age nine, so between nine and 18. So just huge numbers, huge numbers. So picture your child's classroom at age nine, a fourth grade classroom, whether your child is older or younger, for the moms that are listening, of 30 kids. So what those numbers mean, what those numbers tell us in real time, is that two of the boys out of 30 boys and seven of the girls out of 30 girls will experience abuse before turning 18. And for half of those kids, of those fourth graders, they already have. Yeah. And it's just staggering. It's so disturbing. And none of us wants to think about it. I don't want to think about it, though we have to really think about it to better protect our kids. And our kids deserve our very best efforts at prevention. And what you were mentioning earlier, Abby, about the known person danger, another statistic that I think is surprising to a lot of parents, to a lot of moms, is over 91% of children know their abuser. You know, and for me, I'm in full blown middle age by now. I know I'm older than you are, but the only thing I ever heard as a kid, and it wasn't even instruction, it was just stranger danger. What What were yeah. you hearing when you were a kid? Was it kind of similar or yeah, stranger danger? Yeah, yeah, stranger danger. Like that's it. When really it's known person danger. So that's only helping nine percent of the time. I mean, we need that hundred percent of the time that that our kids are getting help. So we want to think of as moms, and it's it's tough to think about, but who has access to our kids? Who has access to our kids? And it's scary, yet who sets up some kind of pattern of interaction where you as a parent falsely trust this person? And as you mentioned, Abby, people who are relatives, distant relatives, people who position themselves as family friends, 
people who have access to our kids, people at friends' homes, and really greatly minimizing or eliminating that one adult to one child interaction has been shown to be a protective factor. So that's a big one. If you're eliminating that one-to-one, you're eliminating a lot of the, a lot of the chances for, for abuse occurring. And a top perpetrator in the literature statistically is a male in relationship with a single mom. So, you know, again, we're thinking access to a kid. Also, older kid to younger kid abuse is common. Mm -hmm. So when you think of that little bit of a power difference, you know, between an older kid and a younger kid. And this was really upsetting to me as I was, you know, creating the body safety box lessons. Children with special needs can be at an increased risk of abuse. You know, when you think about the challenges they have with communication, so that perpetrator is seeking out somebody with a very low chance of being able to communicate and report. So it's much more difficult for kids, especially with, you know, communication challenges to to be able to tell and to report. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I definitely think the perpetrators are looking for vulnerable people. Absolutely. Right? Like, so you think about like the single mom. Yes. You think about people with disabilities. Yes. You think about maybe the child that is more quiet, um, lower self-esteem, you know, these are kind of. Absolutely. Our kids that are more at risk, that are more vulnerable. Right. You know, another tough st- statistic, excuse me, is less than 10% of kids tell you know, and oftentimes when a kid does tell, the adult they do tell doesn't help. And just really the yeah. shame of abuse, the shame that is not the child's to carry is really, you know, a contributing factor to that. Also, there can be a real delay in reporting where the reporting doesn't happen until years later, maybe when the child grows up to be an adult, even into adulthood, and especially for the guys, especially for the boys that are experiencing abuse, yeah. you know, that that uh, chance of get, getting reported is even even lower. Are you seeing that in your practice when you're working with, with teens? Yeah, I am. I'm definitely seeing the delay in reporting, but I also see the kids that do report, nothing happens, right? Right. And because right. especially with like sexual abuse, mm-hmm. it's so hard to prove. Yes. And so I think like in all my cases of sexual abuse, have I ever seen their perpetrator, them get justice, right? That person go to jail, go through a trial. And all of my years I've been doing, I've been working with this population of people for over 10 years. Wow. Only once. Wow. Wow. And, And so I just think like that sucks. I think that we know that. And so it's like, you know, do I even want to go through with reporting, having to tell my story. And then those victims are put on the stand. They're picked apart, you know, and it doesn't even matter the age. You know, I've seen as young as 11 be put on the stand before. And I just think like that adds to trauma. Of course it does. Um, I think, so I think like, this is like a, just a whole nother piece of reporting, getting that justice, um, you know, communicating and getting those statistics that is just, you know, all of our systems are not perfect. Right. And this is like where the system is really lacking is, you know, and able to protect and, um, just honor those victims. Yes. Right. Yes, yes. And then it just keeps going on and on. And, you know, the majority of perpetrators, they have multiple, multiple, multiple victims. It's just happening over and over and over again. So, so tough. So it's really hard. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
So I think like, you know, when we're talking about what um, we can do to help our kids and protect them, you know, I know that you've said, you know, limiting maybe one-on-one contact with an adult. And I think like that was really good advice. Um, Making sure that we are mindful about who's around our children. Do you also see like the importance of, um, you know, because I think like this generation of parents is doing a lot of things differently than the previous generation. But one is that we are teaching appropriate terminology of anatomy. Correct. And I think that that decreases um, sexual abuse Mm -hmm. is when you're able to say, you know, the the proper words of your body parts, penis, vulva, vagina, right? Um, I also think that we're doing something different, which I see being a kind of a hairy topic with our parents is, um, boundaries around consent, our bodies, that you don't have to give anybody a hug. And I think that that's a really good thing to be teaching our kids is that no means no, you know, if I don't want to give a hug just because I don't want to. That's okay. You don't have to. Maybe so give important. Your grandma a fist bump or like something. Say, hey, I love you, but I don't want to hug right now. Um, and I think that making that shift and and especially, you know, having those conversations with the adults around us that, hey, I understand that it hurts your feelings when your grandkids don't want to give you a hug, but this is how I'm protecting my kids, how I'm teaching consent. And just really like driving home why this is so important on the shift of what we're doing and what we're teaching our kids. I think it is a really important lesson. And For sure. That we are and that's so different than previous generations. I mean, I think it's yeah. right now where this is the first time that this is starting right. to change. Don't you agree? Yes, I totally agree. Mm-hmm. And I think like our generation had more of the, you know, good girls just do X, Y, Z and you know, maybe you were sitting on your grandpa's lap and you didn't like it, or maybe you were giving hugs to people that you didn't feel safe with. And I think that that was putting a lot of kids in situations where they weren't comfortable and where those boundaries get blurred. And so I do think like this generation of kids is, you know, having a completely different experience. And I hope that it does lead to more safety. Sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, Dr. Missy, what do you feel like are the consequences of abuse? You know, there are so many, Abby, and they can even go, unfortunately, lifelong without folks getting the proper help that they need. Are you, I'm sure you're seeing that as well. Yep. 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 Are you? And I, and I see that because, you know, on my platform, I'm working a lot with, um, adult women, mothers who are estranged from their family. And so, you know, I think that that abuse, when we get to the topic of estrangement, mm-hmm. you know, we're talking about maybe emotional abuse, maybe there was physical or sexual abuse in your background, but I definitely think that there is abuse when these adult women are getting to a place of estrangement. Um, and so, you know, watching them on their healing journeys and later in life. So I work with, you know, like two different populations of people. Yes. And watching the people who are in adulthood, who are maybe honoring their needs for the first time in their entire life, figuring out who they are for the first time in their entire life, um, untangling themselves from people pleasing, survival mode, perfectionism, overworking, you know, um, 
being overstimulated and not knowing how to regulate our emotions. Like I've just seen it like play out in such different ways for different people. Yes. But I do agree. It like is a lifelong journey that you're going to be on carrying the stuff that happened to us in childhood. Yes. No matter what that was. Yes. Are you familiar with the ACE study in the work that you do? Mm -hmm. Yes. How about if I share that with the listeners? Yeah, I would love that. Thank you. So the ACE study, A-C-E, which stands for the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study, it's a huge landmark study with over 17,000 adult participants. So that's a massive sample size. It's just huge. So there were 10 adverse childhood experiences that adult participants were asked if they had experienced as kids. And these include, to name a few, experiencing violence, abuse, or neglect, and interestingly, witnessing violence in the home or community. It's not just what you've experienced, but if you're witnessing it too, can impact a child as much as experiencing it themselves, which is huge. So if you think of a kid whose mom is in a domestic violence situation, and then to the school shootings, the hundreds of thousands of kids who have survived the shootings in their school, of course, those precious children that we've lost. And in 2018 and 2019 alone, that's over 100,000 kids that experienced the trauma of having a shooting in their school. So that's a huge one. Having a family member attempt or die by suicide, having an incarcerated parent, substance abuse problems, and so many people grow up in an alcoholic home or homes where there are substance abuse issues in the home, mental health issues in the home people grow up in, having divorced parents. So this study, the ACE study looked at primarily college-educated, white, middle-class Americans, people we don't typically think of when having the added challenges of poverty or of being economically disadvantaged. So these are, quote, privileged-ish people, and the numbers are still huge. And the ACE study found 61% of adults surveyed across 25 states, that huge sample, had experienced at least one ACE. So that's the majority of people in that demographic and nearly one in six, Abby, had experienced four or more ACEs. So let's think what four of those sound like. So let's name four. Experiencing childhood sexual abuse, witnessing violence in the home, having an incarcerated parent, and substance abuse problems in the home. So imagine a child trying to navigate that, you know, and we're expecting them in school to be able to focus and learn, and we're not doing enough social and emotional learning in schools. I mean, what are, what are we doing? <laughs> you know, what are we doing? So here in Phoenix, in my home city, I had participated for many years in a trauma-sensitive schools work group with other professionals across many disciplines. And we were working on how do we support our kids who have experienced trauma? What do we do in our schools? How do we make our schools more supportive for the kids in our care? And we talked about how kids here in our state, children with five or more ACEs, could fill our professional football stadium. And we just had the Super Bowl here in Arizona. So if you watch the Super Bowl, instead of picturing football fans, picture that stadium filled with kids, just Arizona kids, with five or more aces. That's what we're dealing with. It's so so sad. I mean, you can hardly even wrap your head around it, even with that visual. So what the ACE study shows is ACEs are associated with a wide range of health consequences later in life, including obesity, heart disease, lung disease depression, and substance use. ACEs can also negatively impact educational attainment, job opportunities, and earning potential across a person's lifespan. 
And as a teacher, the implications for teaching and learning for our kids is just huge. And we think about the protection and love and care that children experiencing these adverse events are so deeply deserving of. And how often these are the kids who are, quote, disciplined for acting out or who are withdrawn or who are displaying any number of other behaviors when the root cause can be something insidious, as insidious as abuse. And yeah, and just the lack of training and the lack of sensitivity that's out there and the lack of awareness that exists, it's just pervasive, just pervasive. And we want to look at the roots, at root causes and at the why behind the behavior. You know, in teaching yeah. and parenting, we always want to look at what is the why behind the behavior. We're not dealing with the behavior, but we want to deal with the why. And a really high quality question, Abby, that, that I really think is so important is what happened to you? Mm-hmm. What happened to you? And Oprah and Dr. Bruce Perry, Dr. Bruce Perry, MD and PhD, both kinds of doctor, <laughs> is a foremost researcher in child maltreatment. And together, Oprah and Dr. Perry co-authored a book called What Happened to You? And it addresses mm-hmm. ACEs. That could be a really helpful one for listeners to take a look yeah. at. If it's they a really to, good book. Yes. If they want to delve yeah. further into the topic. And we've addressed ACEs generally, but there are some consequences specific to childhood sexual abuse which the body safety box is designed to prevent. And so can I share a couple of the consequences specific to sexual abuse for kids? Thank you. So experiencing childhood sexual abuse can affect how a person thinks, acts, and feels over a lifetime. And this can result in short and long-term physical, mental, and behavioral health consequences, including heart disease, obesity, and cancer, depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, substance use, and increased risk for suicide attempts. And females exposed to childhood sexual abuse are between two and 13 times at an increased risk of sexual violence victimization in adulthood. You know, they've just been set up for more victimization, which is even more tragic. Then, of course, what matters most is the human suffering and the human cost but there's also an economic cost that goes along with, with child maltreatment and sexual abuse, sexual abuse in particular. So the cost per child for non-fatal child maltreatment is over $830,000 per child, per child, you know, and here we've got a body safety box for $60, you know, and sometimes I do in, in being a child advocate for all these years and all these decades, you know, I'll get pushed back on the price and it's like, you've got to be kidding. You know, it's just... Mm-hmm. It makes no sense whatsoever. So, and we think too, Abby, when we think about different prevention programs, you know, we've of course got to do them. There's suicide prevention programs out there, self-injury, eating disorder prevention, human trafficking prevention. But if we really look at those other issues, I truly believe that child abuse is at the roots of them very, very often. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is so hard. Um, I know. And just like that image still of the, the base of the football stadium. Yes. Full of children. And it's, it's awful. Like we have to do better by our little people. We really you know, do. They, we really do. Yeah. You know, I had heard at a conference I was at years ago, and I think this makes a ton of sense. I mean, finally, you know, in the 1970s, we put practices into place in our schools where kids with learning difficulties had the right to learn. And, you know, the conference presenter at the time was talking about 
we know how bad these abuse stats are. And if we're not doing something, I mean, we know these kids have these high A scores. And honestly, I, it comes to the point, it's, an, it's a neglect issue that we're not doing what we know these children need and deserve in a classroom setting. And I think at some point, we're going to have some legislation about that. I don't know when, but I can see that on the horizon, you know? Doesn't it just make sense? Yeah, I mean, I would hope, hope I would hope. And it took a while for all those special ed laws to to come into place, but this is such a huge issue that it's, I can't fathom that we're not doing more. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I definitely see that with the kids that I work with in Mm -hmm. their school setting, Mm -hmm. that it's very uh, behavior driven. Yes. And, you know, like even like the IEPs and the systems that we're putting in place for them to maintain in the school system, I do not hear the why nope why is the why are you acting like this or what happened to you you know and I think that that shift in perspective would like change my the kids that I work with it would change their life oh absolutely there was that shift in the perspective and instead of like we're just like trying to maintain good behaviors bad behaviors you know and just like they are just viewed as behaviors. I have one kid on my case though right now who walks around with a sheet all day and wow. each each uh, teacher fills out like, you know, yes and no questions. Mm-hmm. And so if he gets like so many no's in a day, then he doesn't get the prize at the end of the day. Wow. And I just wow. like, wow. why? I hate it so much. Oh, I, know. So I, just, I, I know. Do, I do hope that like we do make that shift for these kids, you know, because I think that when we're looking at them, not as people and what has happened to you and how can I help you and just as a behavior checklist, it's so damaging to their self-worth, their self-esteem and their life. Oh, absolutely. It is nothing. Those those little people are going to go out into the world as adults and have to untangle themselves from all this other stuff that Mm -hmm. came on top of their actual stuff that happened to them, you know, and so I do hope that there are those shifts. I think that they're so important. But Dr. Missy, let's talk about the body safety box. What's inside the box and why did you create the body safety box? Sure, sure. So childhood physical and sexual abuse are not a part of my story, though so many women I hear from have experienced abuse, have experienced especially childhood sexual abuse, and it's and it's just so, so common and, and so shocking. I have an elementary education background. I taught first and second graders for many years, and I always wanted the kids in my care to feel really seen known, welcomed, and valued, which how much more do our kids that have experienced abuse need that? I mean, it's a universal human need. We all need it, but it's even more pronounced when kids have have undergone maltreatment. And I focused my doctoral studies on meeting kids' social and emotional needs during the school day. So here I was all these years ago as a young teacher trying to create these really warm and welcoming, just loving, nurturing classroom environments. And I learned about the abuse stats. And I thought, okay, I am missing the boat creating these beautiful classroom climates, which is great, but if kids are experiencing abuse to the numbers that I was just learning about, I need to first start there with child abuse prevention as a baseline level of meeting kids' social and emotional needs. So I was looking around for prevention programs nationally, and first of all, there was next to nothing, and what was out there was so outdated. We're talking like Brady Bunch status, way outdated. And as a teacher, I could see from an education standpoint, from a teaching standpoint, 
these programs weren't at all incorporating best practices in teaching. So, I mean, they're just not going to be effective. Kids aren't going to be engaged. They're boring. So I created lessons on my own. I piloted them in three different school districts and they exceeded my expectations just so greatly. Kids loved the lessons. I mean, they would cheer when I came in to, to teach mm -hmm. the lessons. They loved them that I thought, you know, I can really package these and reach so many more kids than I can reach myself, you know, going in and teaching the lessons myself. So then they were packaged as the body safety box and we've reached tons of kids in many states and four countries. So just really trying to get it out there. And as far as what are some of the lessons inside the box, how about if I share some of that? Does that sound good? Yeah, that's great. Yep. Okay, good. So the concepts for younger and older kids are the same. There's a box for kids ages five to eight and a second box for kids ages nine to 12. So the concepts are the same, but the activities are specific to younger kids and older kids. So what types of things they would enjoy doing. The first two lessons in the body safety box are social and emotional learning lessons, because that's really a foundation, getting a kid's worth and identity before jumping into directly teaching body safety, just really helping kids to build that solid sense of worth and identity. So we start off with kids making an inside and outside self-portrait where they're reflecting on all of their great character qualities. It also reinforces a positive body image on the outside. And we're teaching kids really how special they are and how worthy they are. And this is framed artwork. So not a rumpled up worksheet, just something framed that's fun that really, you know, they're recognizing that value. And this is framed artwork that kids hang in their rooms. And I suggest in the directions that kids hang it next to their light switch. So they're actively seeing it repeatedly and really building those, those neural connections. I had seen a study, Abby, where a typical adult tells themselves 300 negative messages a day. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that is, how are you getting things done? I mean, that is a lot of negativity. So let's just start. I believe our precious, it though. Yes. Let's just start our precious kids off by, you know, saying positive things about themselves and building positive messaging about themselves. And next in that second lesson, we give kids a foundational emotional vocabulary lesson. And I love Dr. Brene Brown's research. I've learned so much from her and in her work with, you know, thousands and thousands of people, her work teaches us that the typical adult knows only three emotional vocabulary words, just three, happy, sad, and angry. And we know that we just need our kids to know so many more emotional vocabulary words, and it even ties into abuse. So, you know, being able to recognize and label their feelings, being able to emotionally regulate as those skills, you know, grow on throughout a kid's life and being able to connect with others and related to abuse, being able to trust the extremely uncomfortable and confusing feelings surrounding abuse. So really those emotional vocabulary words make sense to be a part of child abuse prevention. So really giving kids a foundation in the first two lessons of the body safety box. I am special. My feelings are special. And then we get into my body is special. And we teach kids two body safety rules in their next lessons. So we teach kids their first body safety rule, which is helping to get at physical abuse prevention, that no one can hurt my body. We teach yeah. it with we teach it with words. We teach it with a child-made drawing and a movement, which is really in line with brain-based learning. And the body safety box is really active and engaging on purpose. We're doing fun activities that kids love and remember that stay in their home. No Charlie Brown teacher, wah, 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 wah. The kids are just, yeah. you know, blanking out on it. Just doesn't work. So for that first body safety rule, kids make puppets. They make actual pillowcases. So when they lay their head 
uh, on their pillow at night, they're saying to themselves how special their body is and that no one can hurt their body. And I just love that. Just that constant reinforcing of the dignity, the worth, the positive identity that we have for kids. And to Abby, I'm sure you're super familiar with this, with the important work you do in your practice. One in three women are experiencing violence in her lifetime. Yeah. You know, so it's just so important. No one can hurt my body. And it it goes along with all the body autonomy that we've been talking about too. Then next we teach the second body safety rule, which is no one can touch my private parts. And we define those in the body safety box as the parts of our body that are covered by our swimsuit. So just really age and developmentally appropriate kid-friendly language that no one's going to have an argument about, you know, and of course parents, it makes really good sense to teach those anatomically correct terms. Mm -hmm. And yet in the body safety box, it's super universal language that no one can touch the parts of my body that are covered by my swimsuit. You know, Mm -hmm. I had actually observed in a second grade classroom, another program and, you know, they were mentioning the word sexual abuse and I'm thinking to myself, okay, these kids are seven. I, I wouldn't want my child to hear the terms sexual and abuse together at age seven. You know, I just don't, I didn't feel like that was the right timing. I don't want that introduced that way. So I was so purposeful and so intentional to really use age appropriate, developmentally appropriate, kid-friendly language so that kids are getting the concept, but in a really age appropriate way when they're so young. Right. I totally agree. I think that there's Mm -hmm. a way to teach scary topics in a non-scary way. Agreed. Totally agree. And that's that's really what what we're doing here with the body safety box. So for that lesson, kids make magnetized artwork for the fridge. So, you know, they've got a picture of themselves, a self-portrait with their swimsuit on that's on the fridge. So you really just have that opportunity to have those ongoing conversations with your kids, not just like a one and done, but really as moms, we can revisit these concepts over and over and just just a kind of everyday-ish way. And that's how the learning is really going to stick. Yeah. So um, next we teach kids refusal and telling skills, which are so important. I use the visual of the stop sign, which kids know, like a kid that isn't yet a formal reader, like a three-year-old knows the stop sign. So kids learn that they can say stop in a big voice They can get away, and this is really key too, they can keep telling adults, not just tell adults, because we know often the one adult, if a kid does tell, doesn't help. So they can keep telling adults until they get help, which is such an important concept. And the stop sign is just a really great visual cue to remind parents when you're in the car with your kids, you know, you're seeing it and you can keep reminding your kid over and over again about what they've learned about keeping their body safe. And the last concept in the body safety box is it's not my fault which really gets at that, you know, how few kids tell. And it's just a critically important concept to let kids know it's not my fault. We've mentioned, you know, that some studies tell us that under 10% of kids tell, and it's that shame, the embarrassment that kids carry from abuse that's not theirs to carry, but it's keeping them from telling, keeping them from telling until they get help. So it's not my fault. It's just a huge concept. Kids learn it with words, a kid drawing and a movement, really to make it super memorable. And two, Abby, I'm getting a lot of feedback too. Not only is the body safety box used as primary prevention, which meaning, you know, we want to prevent abuse from ever occurring, but it's also super effective as a secondary prevention tool. Mm. So if we know a child has experienced abuse, the body safety box is super helpful in helping that child to not be re-victimized because they're learning these rules. And it's 
also so helpful for them. Probably so, so validating. validating. Yeah. Oh, so validating. The whole it's yeah. not my fault thing, super right. validating. Right. Um, and the Body Safety Box, too, has the greatest number of instructional minutes of any program that's available, which is super important. So there are seven lessons for the younger kids, six lessons for the older kids, and lessons are active, engaging, hands-on. And kids have those keepsake quality items that they keep and can refer to over and over again to reinforce learning, which is huge. And I, I, I really love like the revisiting, 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 especially sure. like in the like even the conversations that you were talking yes. about that like these conversations build. And like I was mm-hmm. talking about the earlier in the episode of you know, teaching our little people that it's okay not to hug everybody, like, you know, your body and, you know, you're allowed to have boundaries around your body if you don't want to hug people, you know, but I don't think like that's where the conversation should end. Like then you have it again when they're a little bit bigger and again when they're a little bit bigger and maybe they're starting to have um, relationships that are more intimate, right? And you start having some of those conversations again about what Mm -hmm. consent is then, you know? And so I think like there's so many areas where these conversations that we're having as parents that are so important, especially around safety, are just like building block, building block, building block, and you're continuously having it so that you are preventing, you know, all the stages and all the different things that can happen. Yes, for sure, for sure. You know, and what's really important too to me is I've been so deeply moved by how many kids the body safety box has helped. Like it works. Can I share some of those stories? I would love that. Great, great. So I hear stories from social workers in schools, from administrators, principals of how kids get the instruction in school and they come in and report. I've heard of siblings who have not had the lessons tell kids who have had body safety box lessons at school about abuse happening to other children at home, and the child who has had the lessons reports at school and then asks for box materials to teach to the victimized sibling, which is amazing. I mean, we've got kid-to-kid instruction going on, which, I mean, you know something's going right there, you know? Right. (laughs) I spoke with a school social worker who teaches box lessons in her school, and she says that girls who have had the lessons, they'll often talk amongst themselves and the stronger friends in the friend in the friend group, like kids with the bolder, stronger, more natural leadership personalities will say, Hey, we need to tell the school counselor. So kids will yeah. report to other kids who then report to adults. Yeah. Um, when the lessons first started, you know, when the box was, was newer, when I taught lessons personally in classrooms, I would have kids tell me that they taught the body safety rules to their cousin, or I played the beach ball game with my cousin. So it's so much kid to kid instruction. I also would do pre and post assessments with the younger kids verbally who weren't as experienced in writing. So I could get, you know, good data from the kid and know what they really learned. And one little first grade child, before I had taught her any of the lessons, I'm doing the pretest. And I said, so if someone hurt your body, who could you tell? That was one of our pretest questions. And she rattles off all these adults that I teach kids and that she could keep telling. And I'm like, wow, that's great. You know so much about keeping your body safe. Where did you learn that? And she said, it was a book, it was from a book called I Can Tell. And I put it together. That was a book from the body safety box. And her older sister had had the instruction and taught it to her younger sister. I love that. So just great stuff. Kids love and remember the box and it works, which is great. And, you know, I hear from adults often, where was the body safety box when I was a kid? Mm -hmm. Where was this when I was a kid? 
you know? Um, we had talked earlier in our conversation, Abby, about the challenges that kids with special needs, especially with communication, have in reporting. And yeah. I, an adult woman gave me permission to share her story anonymously. And rather than being a child with communication challenges, she's a verbally gifted kid. She was in the gifted program growing up here in Scottsdale, which is, a, for those of you who don't know, is a really affluent area of Phoenix. So she's, you know, here in this beautiful home in Scottsdale. Her dad's a professional. And she had a four-year abuse cycle in elementary school. She hid in a closet. And she had seen the body safety box lessons in action. She's like, Missy, that one lesson right there would have changed things for me. I would have gone in at the next recess and told. You know, and kids just need this instruction to be able to tell. Here's this brilliant kid, verbally gifted kid, and she didn't tell, you know? Right. So it's just, it's so, so, so important that we give our kids these skills so that they can keep themselves safe and so that they know that, you know, it's an adult's responsibility to help me. I can keep telling adults until I get help. It's just, just so important. That is so important. I so agree. Missy, thank you so much for sharing with us about this topic. I know it's not a fun topic, for but sure. it is so, so important. Um, so thank you for sharing about it. Thank you for creating the body safety box. Um, tell people where they can find you and where they can find the box. Yes. Thank you so much for the opportunity to really get the word out. I appreciate you and the good work you're doing with our teens every day to help them. Thank you for doing this. So bodysafetybox.com is the place to get boxes for your children. Boxes are in stock. They're ready to ship. And I'd love to serve your family and help protect your kids. They're available for you to purchase for your kids today. And I'll get them sent right out to you, bodysafetybox.com. Also, as we've mentioned, boxes are available for entire schools. They're packaged a little bit differently to make them super available and really user-friendly for classroom use. So any email address or phone number that you find on the Body Safety Box website will reach me, reach out. I'd love to get in touch with your school principal, and we'll just get this instruction out, not just to your kids, but to all your kids' peers, because this is how yeah. we're going to get this to stop. It's such a big pro pro problem that we can really make an impact reaching entire schools. I'm also active on Instagram at bodysafetybox.com. DM me and I can get right back with you and reach out to and get all the kids in your community safer. Oh, I have a giveaway for your audience. Can I share a little bit about that? Yeah, yes, please do. Yes. So April is National Child Abuse Prevention Month. So let's all get after it in April and get this instruction to our kids and to our kids' peers. So I'm giving away two body safety boxes to you, the mother podcast listeners, just head over to bodysafetybox.com and download the free guide to enter. And then I will reach out. I'll randomly select um, two recipients from the first 500 listeners to download that free guide. And I will contact you by email. So bodysafetybox.com is the place to get boxes for your kids and also to get you entered. Perfect. Thank you so much for offering that, Missy. Um, and thank You're you so again welcome. For, joining, for joining me and having this conversation. Such an important one. And I hope that this generation is like, please be the generation that ends some of these things and takes yes. steps forward. Yeah. Yes. Like, oh, one more thing I forgot to mention. Forward. Aaron yeah. Marin, Aaron's Law. Have you heard of Aaron's yeah. Law? I don't think so. Oh, this is amazing. So Aaron Marin, she is a fantastic woman. She is a, a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. And she has yeah. single-handedly put legislation in 38 states saying that child abuse prevention education needs to happen. So that yeah. legislation is out there. It doesn't mean that it's always happening, 
So go to aaronslaw.org. See if your state is one where abuse prevention is mandated. Get in touch with me. I can get in touch with your child's principal. So let's just get this to happen. And that just shows what one person can do to really make right. a massive difference in this issue. So yay, Erin Marin, you're phenomenal. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Dr. Miski, thanks again. And thank you for helping us support you, the mother. Thanks so much, Abby.